Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week's message comes from the third Sunday of Easter. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appears to more of his disciples, who invite him in and participate in communion with him. Pastor David Cartwright reminds us, in these turbulent times, when traditional communion may be impractical, that any time we invite Jesus in, we participate in a communal relationship with him. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I'll invite you to turn in your scripture to Luke chapter 24. We will begin reading there, picking up where we did last week. And today we will start at verse 28 and read through verse 35. Luke chapter 24, hear now the word of God. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sometimes you just can't replace a personal experience. Uh, if you, many of you have probably been someplace in the past, maybe several places, where you would think that there was just no replacement for actually seeing it with your own eyes. I know I have a, a couple of places that, that come to my mind. No, no travel literature, no amount of pictures taken of the place can really convey the power and the meaning of, of being there in person. One of the places for me, uh, believe it or not, yes, it's in the Holy Land, but it's probably not one of the places you would guess. It's standing on the hillside along the north end of the Sea of Galilee to just look out upon the villages and and, and the lake out there. Uh, To to just stand there and to take in that sight, it it does something in me that no amount of pictures can do. Or or maybe think of it this way. Uh, if If you've never been in love before, if you had never been in love before, and I told you ad nauseum, at length, uh, what it's like, what it feels like to be in love. There's really no way that I could convey to you in, in, in its fullness what it really feels like to be in love. It's an experience that words can't really describe. 
those personal encounters have to be experienced because there is power in them. The Easter experience is not complete without an encounter with the risen Christ. The text we read today, we have to remember, is still an Easter text. Luke began in, in chapter 24 by telling us about the women who went out to the tomb. They saw that the tomb was empty. They saw a couple of angels there who told them that Jesus was alive. They went back and told the, some other disciples who went out themselves. They saw the empty tomb. We talk a lot about the empty tomb. The empty tomb has so much meaning in itself. But the Easter narrative is not complete until there is an experience, a personal experience with the risen Christ. And that's where we are headed today. Nothing can replace the personal face-to-face -face experience with the risen Christ. And these two disciples have been traveling along. As we read last week, they were walking from, a, uh, from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. That's about seven miles away from Jerusalem. They're going along. Uh, Jesus appears with them. Their eyes are kept from knowing who it is. And they're, they're telling Jesus about all these things that happened to, to this guy named Jesus, about how he came in power, how he was uh, arrested and crucified and then how people went to the tomb that morning and, and, and found that it was empty. And then Jesus starts to open their hearts and their minds to all the scriptures had said about Jesus leading up to that time. They're, they're on their way to a personal experience, but they haven't had it yet. And we picked up in the middle of that narrative in verse 28, and, and it says, as they were... Approaching that village, Jesus acted as if he was going to go on. I don't want to chase that rabbit too far. It's an interesting part of the narrative. But the first thing they, that they do, there are a couple of things in this narrative that I think are important for us to see because they speak to us. The first one there in, in verse 29, it says that they urged him saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them. There is an invitation that they offered for Jesus to come and stay with them. An invitation for Jesus to be with them. It's so important for us to invite Christ deeper into our lives. We look at this and we consider the culture in which it happened and we say, well, wouldn't it have been culturally expected for them to offer that hospitality? And of course the answer is yes. The, the day is becoming complete. It doesn't tell us exactly what time it is, but you can picture that evening is coming on. There's not too much daylight left. Yes, there would have been a, a, a cultural expectation to extend that hospitality to him to a guest traveling along. No, don't, don't try to press on. Come and, and, and stay the evening with us. But don't miss how important it was. They could have let him go, but they didn't. And what happens is that he goes in to abide with them. You probably don't read that in your text, but that's the word that is there. You, you see, it, 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 it seems to carry more impact to us when we switch that word. The text, even in my scripture, just says that he went in to stay with them. But in the original language, it, it, it's the same word 
that in, in other places we translate as abide. And we hear that word and we think, oh, that's the church word, right? Abide. Well, it's really not a church word, except that we've made it a church word. We go, oh, Jesus, that's he abides with us. Think about John chapter 14, John chapter 15, how many times he says, you know, abide in me and I abide in you. It's that sense of staying in one place, not going from one thing to another, just remaining in one place and letting something happen. Back where I come, we would say, you know, come in, take off your shoes and stay a while. That's the sense of abide. Not moving so quickly on to something else. And that's what invitation is all about. It's not moving on too quickly. Just take that one thing and stay with it for a while. Why is that so important for us? Because in our lives, we have that tendency to just move on from one thing to another too quickly. When in reality, we ought to be inviting, if you will, Jesus to come and abide a little longer around something. Maybe it's a, a matter of reading something that spoke to you in a morning devotional, and you think, oh, that's, yeah, I, I like that, that really makes sense to me. But then you never come back to it. Or maybe there's something that happens during the day and, you know, it's a little God moment where God speaks to you and you make mental note of it. But again, we, we don't come back to it. When in truth, what we ought to be doing is taking those things and saying, I'm, I'm going to invite those to abide with me a little longer. Come back in a quiet time when you don't have to move on and let God abide in those moments. You see, that's what these two travelers did. They, 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 they weren't going to let the moment move on. They said, come in, stay with us. And Jesus came to abide with them. It, it really is an act that set up the personal encounter, the opening of their eyes. We need to be inviting Jesus to abide in those moments a little longer so that the work of transformation can happen within us. So what happens next? He says in verse 30, It came about that while he reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. He was made known to them. It even says in, in verse 35, when they went and told the other disciples, he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It is extremely difficult for me to read that and think that the writer did not intend for it to be sacramental in nature. Luke has already told us back in chapter 22 how Jesus gathered with his disciples for the Passover meal. He took the cup and he gave it to them. And then in verse 19 of chapter 22, it says that he took the bread and he blessed it. And he said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. There's richness in that word, remembrance. You and I, when we talk about remembering something, it's usually a matter of a, a, a mental exercise in which we allow ourselves to be taken from the present to the past. 
But in the language of the New Testament, it carries over the richness of what Jesus said to them, which is really pretty much the opposite. It may be an oversimplification on my part, but instead of going from the present to the past, what Jesus says, do this in remembrance, is bring the past into the present. When you do this, you are once again bringing into your present reality my presence with you. It was in the breaking of the bread that he was made known. It's sacramental in nature. We know that when we enjoy that act of Holy Communion, when we take the cup and when we break the bread, that mysteriously, divinely, Jesus is there with us. But we should also recognize that even without celebrating the Lord's Supper, if you will, there is still something sacred in the gathering together. There is sacredness in the fellowship. And it's in the fellowship that Jesus becomes known to us. You could also, you could even say if you wanted to, depending on how freely you want to use the word sacramentally, you could say that sacramentally in the fellowship Jesus is present with us. There is, there is an expectation in the body that when we gather, Jesus is there with us. The question is, will we have eyes to see him? I like how Max Lucado put it in one of his writings when he talked about Cleopas and this other disciple, that, that when Jesus gathered with them and when Jesus took the bread and when Jesus served the bread to them and they received it, that they saw that the hands that served the bread to them were nail-pierced. And I wonder how often in the fellowship that we sense that the hands working among us are the nail-pierced hands. There's power in recognizing Christ's presence among the body. And it's in gathering, being obedient to doing those things like gathering with the body that we can expect Jesus to be known to us. John Wesley had an experience like this. Uh, he writes in his journal, and we recognize it in usually using the term the Aldersgate experience of John Wesley. Sometime next month, I don't remember the exact date, but we recognize this thing called Aldersgate Day. If you have a United Methodist calendar that has those kinds of things written in, you'll find in May Aldersgate Day. It's a remembrance of a time when John Wesley himself had a truly transformational experience. He writes in his journal on that very evening, uh, he, he begins the journal entry by saying, in the evening I've, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. And from there he relates how he, when he went into this service, that there was someone reading from Luther, Martin Luther's preface to Paul's letter to the Romans. And while that reading was happening, John Wesley, in these famous words, felt his heart strangely warmed. It really was a conversion experience. Now, some people would say that it was a, a, his true conversion to Christianity. I don't think that that's the case. But you can't argue that it was transformational. 
It was a conversion within his heart that left him changed. The interesting thing about it is that he didn't want to go. I don't know if you picked that up in the writing. The Reverend Dr. J.C. Park, who is the president of the World Methodist Council, wrote a little article about this experience of John Wesley. And, and he begins by saying that, quote, it was not so much a conversion of his heart as a conversion of his leg. Did you really catch the adverb that John Wesley used about his going? Let me share it with you again. He said, quote, in the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. You and I would simply say we went to church. That's essentially what it was. How did he go? Very unwillingly. Isn't it interesting that God uses an opportunity like that to leave us changed? He didn't want to go, but he went anyway. And in his obedience, he was left a changed man. Dr. Park goes on and he writes, How many times we should have willingly joined our brothers and sisters for solidarity, yet in reality we missed the God-given moment to change our story so that we failed to transform history. How different would the Methodist movement have been had John Wesley not gone to that society meeting that night? I don't know. God would only be able to describe that. How different might our impact for the kingdom be by our being obedient to the things of God? so that God can take those opportunities to make himself known to us, so that we can have transformational experiences with Jesus Christ that leave us changed and thereby change the community around us. You see, it is in being changed, being transformed by having that face-to-face -face encounter with Christ that you and I will have a witness for the world. Look at what happens with these guys. Their eyes are open to Jesus Christ, and, and the first thing they do is to leave Emmaus and go back to Jerusalem. Let me remind you of a couple of details. It's getting toward evening. There's not much daylight left. It's a seven-mile trip on foot. Could they have waited until the next day? Yes, but they wouldn't. Because when Jesus changes us, there is a witness that won't wait. They cannot wait to get back to Jerusalem to go to those 11 apostles and the others who are gathered with them and say, He is risen. We have seen Him. We can testify to the reality that Christ is with us. It is the power of the face-to-face -face encounter that gives us a witness for the world. But there's something important for us to note here. Because otherwise we will 
mistakenly think that the only power that comes is from the experience itself. We should be reminded that in the Wesley theological understanding, experience is only something that validates what Scripture has told us. Experience does not stand on its own as a validator of truth. Experience only validates what Scripture has already told us. And I want you to look in your Bibles to make sure that you, you can see with your eyes that I'm not telling you a lie. In verse 32, note when their hearts began to burn. It was not in the breaking of the bread. They said, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures with us. I tried to search for an analogy. I, I couldn't come up with a perfect one, but it's almost as if it, it is saying that the fuel for the fire was already being put in place. Whatever was required to burn was already being put together, and it's like it was being heated up, it was being kindled, it was being arranged in just the right way leading up to that point. All it, all it needed was a spark. And when the spark happened, the flame burst. How many of you sat by a campfire before and the fires burned for a little while and you had those, that, that situation where there's not a flame burning, but there's embers in there and you know they're, oh man, they're hot, right? They're hot. You wouldn't dare put your hand in there. There's some wood left to burn yet. But all you need to do is, what, fan it a little bit. And you fan, and you fan, and you fan, and you fan, and then all of a sudden, in an unexpected fashion, what happens? It bursts into flame. Okay? The fuel for the fire was being put in place. When? While they were traveling along the road with Jesus. Let me translate while they were doing the common things that you and I would be doing, centering, centering ourselves in worship, searching the scriptures, praying together, being in fellowship together, that's where the, fire, where the fuel gets put into place. All that was needed was for Jesus to take the initiative to put the spark to it. And when Jesus put the spark to it, they couldn't wait. It was a witness that carried out into the world. You see, sometimes I think you and I fool ourselves into thinking that the only powerful, transformative encounter we will have with Jesus Christ will come in extraordinary circumstances. We think that we have to take a week-long or month-long retreat to some secluded place. Or we think we have to go off to some big city to a multi-day uh, summit where all these Christian leaders are gathered. We think we have to go to some kind of large venue event where you have a nationally renowned preacher and, and the, the praise band that has all the best singers and players and the best sound crew and stage effects. We think that those are the only places where we're going to have that truly life-changing transformational experience with the risen Christ.
we would be wrong. Jesus comes to us in the most common experiences. When we are simply being obedient to the common disciplines of our daily life, of just putting Scripture into our lives, praying faithfully, worshiping together. And I realize that this is an odd time to be saying things like that since physically we're, we're still not able to gather together. But friends, I am convinced of this, that if we will be faithful to keep putting those components into our life in a faithful way, you keep putting the fuel in place, God will be faithful to put the spark to it in His time. And when He does, He will set our hearts aflame. And our lives will never be the same. And our witness will change the world. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are faithful to do that which builds your kingdom. And God, I know that your desire is to set our hearts aflame. What a remarkable mystery it is that you gather when we gather. So, Father, I pray for this gathering, for every person with us in heart and spirit right now, that you would make yourself known. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful. Help us to be diligent, to continue to put those things into our lives where you will abide with us in a deeper, longer, richer way. Knowing, God, that you will make yourself known and you will continue to change us. Make us changed people, people changed for the kingdom, people changed into the likeness of Christ, people prepared to be used by you to impact the world for the purpose of Jesus Christ. We offer ourselves to you for that purpose this day and pray that Christ and Christ alone is given praise for it, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.